This is Alan Seaborn from Winning at Home. Welcome to In Progress, a podcast about faith, life, and how we grow. And in this episode, I want to talk about a passage from the book of Galatians. Um, Paul is writing to a church that is really struggling. And I want to talk about something that I think we don't really even think of this as being background for what's happening throughout the New Testament very often. But the problem that they're dealing with is the church is trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. Because when Jesus came, he was the long-awaited Messiah that the Jewish people had been waiting for for generations and generations. But the problem was that so many people had understood that the Messiah was going to be this conquering king, that it was going to be somebody who would come and lead the people of Israel out of free out of the oppression that they had been dealing with for hundreds and hundreds of years. But we know that when Jesus came as the Messiah, that's not what he did. That's not who he was. That wasn't the role that he lived out and fulfilled. And because of that, there were so many people who had been part of the Jewish faith for generations and generations who said, well, obviously Jesus isn't the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for from God because he didn't do all the things that we believe the Messiah is going to do. And so after Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead, there were people who believed that he was the fulfillment of all of God's promises. But there were others who said, no, no, we're still waiting for a Messiah to break us free of the oppression that we're living under. And so what happened, I mean, today it's been going on for so many years that it's like, well, yeah, obviously the Jewish faith and the Christian faith are two separate things. But in the early years, that wasn't so obvious and they were trying to figure this out. So they were deciding and kind of having conversations and debates and trying to figure out what it meant. If you were going to follow Jesus, did that mean that you needed to convert first to Judaism? Or what were you supposed to do? What did it look like to follow after him? And Christianity, as its own standalone religion, kind of developed along the way. So at the beginning, they were trying to figure out how this looked. And Paul was one of the people that was really at the center of this debate. And he was constantly pushing forward and saying, okay, whoever wants to follow Jesus, uh, they don't have to come and follow all the Jewish laws, all the religious uh, ceremonial type of stuff. They don't have to convert to that first and then follow Jesus. Uh, they can just come and they can follow Jesus. But as you know from experience and as we've run into time and time again, uh, the establishment of the faith at that time was a lot slower moving. And there were people, some of it was on an institutional level and some of it was just individual people that would go around to the churches that Paul had helped start 
And they would come and they would say to these baby Christians, they would say, look, it's cool that Paul told you about Jesus, but what he didn't tell you about is that if you really want to follow him, you need to convert and you need to live life as a person who is part of the Jewish faith. And so Paul writes the book of Galatians because he's frustrated that there's this division that's taken hold in the church, that um, people are starting to wonder, okay, is following after Jesus enough or do I have to do more? And so Paul writes, and in Galatians chapter 3, this is Uh, getting, he's already kind of into the book where he's been dealing with the background that I've just been talking about, about, you know, there's this confusion, there's this dissension, there's this divide that people are trying to say, okay, if you want to be in on this thing called following Jesus, you have to jump through X, Y, Z hoops in addition to the stuff that Paul's already gone around on his missionary journeys and been telling people about. And Paul spends the early part of the book of Galatians dealing with this. And then he sums up his thoughts in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. He says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And the end of that passage, you get that what he's talking about there, saying if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. He's referencing the Jewish faith. He's saying, hey, look, you don't have to first convert into this faith because if you're following after Jesus, you are Abraham's spiritual descendant. And your heirs, you're in. You're part of God's people now. Because previously, uh, there had been this understanding that if you were not part of the Jewish faith, the Jewish community, then you weren't one of God's chosen people. And what Paul is saying, he goes through, he says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. He's catching kind of the three biggest dividing lines that people in his audience would have had at the time that he was writing this passage. So he says there's neither Jew nor Gentile. And this is really getting to the heart of the issue that he was writing to talk about. They're trying to figure out what does it look like to follow Jesus and how do we have to become Jewish or not? What do we do? So they were asking really practical questions like, what do we do about circumcision? Because that's a big part of the Jewish uh, religious ritual. And if we don't have to do that, we don't want to. What do we do about eating with Gentiles? 
Uh, if they're not in, if they're not part of God's people, then we don't know if we should be doing that. And Paul, at this time, he was really on the leading edge of talking to churches about the fact that following the Jewish law wasn't the answer. Following Jesus was. And even, you know, nearly 2,000 years later, uh, there are debates going on all the time. What parts of the Old Testament are key for people who are followers of Jesus, of this new thing? It's not new anymore, but this new thing at the time called Christianity. What translates over from the religious ritual laws of the Old Testament. And really the way that we've settled on this that uh, causes the least amount of divide and dissension is to say there are some things that are obvious and some things that definitely are part of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And then on some of these other things, uh, people need to follow their own personal convictions. The spots where there's not a definite right and wrong thing to do, uh, it comes down to where you are in life and kind of where your conscience, how the Holy Spirit speaks to you. And Paul talks about this in other places too, that, you know, for some people they can do something and it's not wrong, but uh, others could do that same thing and their motivation for it or how they feel about it, they really feel like they're doing something wrong. And he says in the midst of this, it's important that we don't make other people have a hard time when they're following their conscience. So he's talking about this idea here of figuring out what it looks like. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. Then he goes on, neither slave nor free. Now he's writing uh, in a world where the Roman society was really, really stratified. Your birth gave you status or it gave you non-status. And the Roman world, um, there were either slave or free people. Now, some of the people who were slaves, it was because their ancestors years before had been prisoners of war. And their nation had been defeated by the Roman Empire, and uh, because of that, they had lower status. Some of the people who wound up in this category of slave, it was because they or their ancestors were debtors, and they couldn't pay back what they had borrowed or what they owed or whatever the case may be. And these people, um, they weren't citizens in the Roman Empire. They had limited rights. And Paul's saying, even though in daily life, this is one of the ways that we divide who's in, who's out, just like we do it with Jew or Gentile, we do it with slave or free in this ancient world that he's a part of. And he's saying the ways that we divide ourselves up, the ways that we decide who has more value and who has less value, in Christ, those divisions aren't important. That's not what your identity is anymore. And he goes on. He says, nor is there male and female. 
this was a big one. And, you know, in the ancient world under the law, males really had priority. They could receive an inheritance. They could be kings and priests. And um, if you weren't a male in the ancient world, you basically lost a coin flip when you were born and you had very, very, very limited options of what life could and would look like for you. And we read this stuff now and we think, man, this is crazy. Like Paul's having to write and saying, okay, basically um, based on religion or economic status or ethnicity or gender, we're dividing people up and saying who's in and who's out, who matters and who doesn't. And he's saying that that's not the way to go about it. This is a really forward-thinking way of looking at the world, for, especially for the time that Paul was writing this. And Christianity really was partly on the forefront of expanding this idea of human rights because there was the belief and there still is the belief that human beings are made in the image of God and there's value in that. And so Paul breaks up all these ways that we normally divide ourselves and decide who matters, who doesn't, who's in, who's not. He says all these divisions, that that's not what matters. He says, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And it's such a unifying, uplifting, hopeful idea that for those of us who think that we're less than for whatever reason, who find ourselves um, maybe not fitting in, maybe not feeling like we fit in, maybe not being treated like we fit in um, because of something about us, something in our background, something, who knows? But this is a really normal human thing, right? We have people who are in and people who are out. You see it, and it starts in middle school and high school with cliques and the popular and not popular, or these people are, they, you know, fit in what we picture as like the way that the world works and some of these other people don't, well, we don't leave that sadly at the door when we graduate from high school. Our minds are really geared toward saying who's in, who's out, who should matter to me and who's kind of less important. And Paul is saying, if we're doing that, we're missing the point for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to jump back to something that he said earlier in this passage because it's something that, especially the first few times I read through this passage, I kind of glossed right over it. But once you read the rest of what Paul's writing here and you understand what he's getting at and the importance that he's placing on this stuff, then you look back at what started this line of thinking and it takes on some extra significance 
in verse 27, he says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And I want to talk about that idea there of clothing yourselves with Christ. Because when I heard that idea, uh, really for the first time and then for pretty much every time after that, I always pictured that the reason we're supposed to clothe ourselves in Christ is so that other people see the way that we live and it points them to Jesus. It reminds them of the way that he lived his life. And I always thought that the reason we're supposed to be clothing ourselves in Christ is because it makes a difference for the way that other people see us. And I still think that that's a big part of what it means to clothe ourselves in Christ. But I came across something not too long ago that made me see it from another perspective and I think gave a fuller understanding of what this means. And it might seem like kind of a unique or weird connection at first, but I want you to stick with me because I really think that this helps us to just gain a depth of insight into this passage and helps make a whole lot more sense out of what Paul is writing here. So there, um, there were a couple of researchers who were studying, you know, especially this started maybe, you know, a couple decades ago as uh, people were looking into school uniforms as they had seen that work uniforms made an impact on the way that people kind of fell into line and did what was expected of them and all that kind of stuff. And so they started doing some research on does wearing something different actually impact the way that people act? And so what they did is they gave half of the people that were part of this study, they gave them a white lab coat when they came in and they were going to be taking uh, not quite a test, but almost like the um, sort of like the games that you give to kids where there's two pictures and you try to spot the differences between the two. There's eight, ten differences, whatever it is. And they gave them those kind of tests, those kind of little puzzles or games or however you want to talk about those things. And what they found is the half of the group that they gave these lab coats to, they on average did better than the other half of the group that just came in and did these little puzzles, tests, games, wearing the clothes that they were wearing when they walked in. And they started thinking about it. They're like, okay, well, I guess, you know, when people put on a lab coat, they think of scientists and they think of doctors and researchers. They think of people who would be good at details, people who pay a lot of attention. And they said, okay, I guess that makes sense, but maybe the reason they did better is just because they felt singled out. They felt like they had gotten something, and so they needed to do better to kind of prove to us that they were better. I don't know, something like that. And so they went back, and they did this test again with a whole different group of people. This time they divided the group into three. And the first third, they had just come in and take 
the tests, play the game, do the puzzle in their regular clothes. The second third, they gave them a white lab coat, just like they had given the first group, but they told them, instead of calling it a lab coat, they called it a painter's coverall, like a coat that painters wear as they're spraying outside or inside of a house or whatever so they don't ruin their clothes. But it was the exact same white coat that they gave to the third group of people and they told was a lab coat. So you have one-third of the people that are wearing their regular clothes and then two-thirds of the people that are wearing the exact same white coat but half of them think it's a lab coat and half of them think it's a painter's smock. And so they watched as they did these tests and played these games and did these puzzles. And they found, when they went back and they checked the results, they found that the people wearing their regular clothes and the people who thought they were wearing, quote-unquote, a painter's smock, they had pretty similar results. But the people who thought they were wearing a lab coat, even though it was the exact same white coat as those wearing this painter's smock, the people that were wearing the lab coat, again, did better at these puzzles. They made fewer mistakes. They completed it more quickly. And they looked back, these researchers, and they said, okay, um, obviously there is something to this. What people wear changes the way that they experience life, changes the way that they think about themselves, and then, as a result, it changes the way that they act. And I wanted to talk about that briefly because I think when we understand that and then we read what Paul writes in Galatians, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You get how different that is than what I talked about before, that we think we're supposed to look like Christ for other people's benefit. So they see us and go, oh yeah, that person must follow Jesus because of how he's changed them. That's still important, but that's not all of it. When we clothe ourselves with Christ, it changes how we see ourselves. It changes the way that we understand God working in our lives. And when it changes so much about how we're thinking and what we're expecting and what we think God is up to, that changes behavior. And so then it's a really natural outflow for Paul to write that when you're clothed in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile or slave or free or male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. When we start to see ourselves that way, our true identity of who we are in Christ. It changes not just how we see us, but it changes how we see the world. 
and it changes the way that we act. Um, A few episodes ago, we talked about how quick we are and how natural it is to start labeling other people as lazy or a jerk or un, um, unresponsible or uncountonable. I'm making up words, but you get what I'm trying to say. Well, what Paul's saying here is when we start to change the way that we see ourselves, when we see ourselves as clothed in Christ and understand how much that changes about the way we think and the way we act and the way that we see the world, it makes a huge difference because identity matters a whole lot. And if it changes the test results for these people to be putting on a quote-unquote white lab coat that's the exact same as the painter's smock, how much more does it change things for us when we understand that we, as followers of Jesus, as sons and daughters of God, as heirs according to the promise, as Paul would say, find our identity in him.